This podcast is intended solely for educational purposes and presents information of a general nature. It is not intended to guide or determine any specific individual situation and persons should consult qualified professionals before taking specific action. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and not those of Milliman. Hello and welcome to Critical Point, brought to you by Milliman. I'm Anders Larson and I'll be your host today. In this episode of Critical Point, we're going to be talking about blockchain. This is the third episode we're doing as part of a series on blockchain and its insurance applications. In the first two episodes, we got into the basics of cryptocurrencies, particularly Bitcoin, um, how the blockchain data structure or technology fits into that. And then we talked about a couple of key concepts, hashing and public key cryptography on the second episode. Um, But we we noticeably stayed away from actual insurance um, or even any other applications other than cryptocurrencies. So today we're going to dip our toe into some other real world applications and uh, some of the compromises that have been made to make those happen. So I'm here again with Shay Parks, a principal at Milliman. So good to see you again today, Shay. Good to see you today too, Anders. All right. So let's get started talking about one of the the key aspects that we've talked about with blockchain in the past um, with cryptocurrencies, and that's the concept of this unforgiving identity management. Uh, A lot of that was related to the concept of public key cryptography and the fact that this private key linked to a public key is really the only way to prove you are who you say you are. Yeah, no. In fact, there was something that just came out in the news recently that uh, unfortunately someone that had been manning a large cryptocurrency exchange passed away suddenly and had a password on their private key that had never told a soul. And so, you know, $100 million of cryptocurrency assets are now just gone. Well, they're only gone. You can see them there on the blockchain, but nobody will ever access them or transfer them anywhere again. So it's a really unforgiving system. So obviously with that type of unforgiving system, you can imagine how um, in in a lot of other walks of life, people are uh, leery of going that far. But there's still a desire to, to kind of use this blockchain technology and see if there's there's ways to extract um, some of the benefits of it without that. So if you're, go- if you're going to avoid that unforgiving identity management, there are some compromises you've got to make. So Shay, what's kind of the, the big compromise you've got to make if you're, well, if you're not going to have this unforgiving identity management? Well, if you're not being unforgiving, that means you're going to have to let someone, you're going to forgive someone for getting their password or for forgetting their password or losing their password. And you got to let them, you know, reset it or change it or things like that. And as as soon as that happens, that means there's got to be a central authority that is handling those resetted passwords, changing passwords, etc. And if that central authority can make new passwords for you, that central authority can access any of the data they're storing. It's not just you that's accessing it. As soon as someone else has the ability to make passwords, well, if some, you know, if somehow someone nefarious was working at that organization, well, they can technically compromise the data. Um, now, having said that, there are a lot of organizations that we all choose to put our trust in, uh, such as 
governments, a lot of governments, uh, you know, and central authorities or consulting companies, um, people choose to put their trust in. And so uh, there's still some, there's still definitely some room for some, some of the ideas um, in the, the blockchain technology and framework, especially maybe if that central authority is a government. Right. And so just to kind of refresh, it's not just on the, the blockchain. In a, in a Bitcoin world, the it's not simply just the the private public key aspect and the unforgiving nature there that's providing this security without a central authority. We also talked about sort of these races that re, that essentially prevent a single actor from hacking the chain. And so there are, without the central authority, there's ways that Cryptocurrencies have been able to provide that um, security, but again, shared, it's actually more the uh, yeah the data we call it data immutability or right. you know make sure that the history is unchanged. Right. So that in most of these use cases we're talking about here, that some of these aspects of Bitcoin have been compromised um, for for various reasons. So let's focus. We want to focus today primarily on. Uh, a case, a use case in going on in Estonia started about three years ago. Oh, maybe even more than that at this yeah. point, yeah. Um, where they have started storing um, some healthcare data. We'll get into exactly what that data is um, on a blockchain. So, yeah. Shay, could you talk us through kind of a high level what they're doing? Yeah, in and Estonia? please do finish the episode because we're going to take a minute here. It's not actually sensitive healthcare data on a blockchain. So, um, yeah, no, Estonia has been sort of a, a, a leader, a, a thought leader in this area. They've been using blockchains for a few different things. And uh, one that we, we've researched some is health insurance or not or health care, more than health insurance, actually health care. They're, they're really using this with their health care providers, their doctors, their clinics, etc., that they have worked and set up a blockchain that's continuously running and adding blocks of data. And it's sort of this healthcare blockchain running in Estonia. But what they're storing on it, again, is, is not actually sensitive patient data. So what, what gets stored on this, this blockchain is that, Anders, if you went to the doctor in Estonia and they you know, worked on your arm from all the times throwing footballs, and they said, you know, hey, we had to poke it a few times to make it work again. Well, they would open up a file on their computer and they'd write down, oh, you're Anders Larson. Your shoulder was hurting. I poked it. And then they take that and they hash that text file, which is what we talked about in the last episode. And they send that hash off to the government and the government puts that hash on the blockchain. So in theory, there's this long blockchain that... Um, nowhere on there does it say Anders Larson. In fact, all it, it keeps on there is, you know, what doctor's office, you know, it just says this doctor office did something on this day and here's the hash of what they did. Okay, so what do I do with this hash that, you know, as we talked about in the last episode, a the result of a of something going through a hash function is a is a number and it can't be reversed. So I can't take that number and figure out what was done. What what can I do with this? So the use case um, in Estonia is that, okay, so Anders comes back, you know, here to lovely Indiana. And then a few years later, goes back and visits Estonia again. And his shoulder starts acting up again. 
um, in Estonia, and he goes to a different doctor. And you know, the doctor says, "Oh, you know, your shoulder's hurting. Have you have you seen anyone about this?" And he's like, "Oh, yeah. Well, I saw you know, I, I saw a doctor a few years ago, and they poked my shoulder. And they're like, oh, really? They poked your shoulder? You know, I mean, okay. Let, let me go pull up the records here, and I, you know, say, okay, well, who was it? You know, which doctor was it? And, and about when did it happen? And you know, th- this new doctor will." First, directly contact the old doctor based on what Anders says. You know, call up the office of the other one and say, you know, well, did you do anything with Anders? And they won't look at the government blockchain at the old office. They'll say, no, I'm going to go look at my EMR and I'm going to look up Anders. And I'll say, yeah, look, I, I did do something with that. Um, would you like me to send over my, you know, my record of, of you know, what, where exactly I poked Anders' shoulder? And the new doctor goes, yeah, why don't you go ahead and send over the record of you know, where, where, you, uh, where you poked Anders' shoulder? And they send it securely. Again, no blockchain involved at this point. They send it over, and the new doctor now has that text file that says, oh, well, Anders Larson came in on this day. He had a bad shoulder. I poked it here. And the new doctor goes, well, you know, you know, let me, let me just, for peace of mind, you know, I actually have a way now to confirm that this is at least what the old doctor said they did at the time they did it. So I'm going to take this you know, text file describing what happened. And I'm going to hash it with the same hashing algorithm. And then I have a copy of this government controlled blockchain right here. And it goes back in history. And you say it's happened three years ago, right? Right. Yep. Yeah. So the new doctor, you know, takes this text file that says what happens and they compute, they run the hashing algorithm. And so they compute that sort of think of it as a, a checksum. And then they can go look at their, government-supplied blockchain. They've got a copy of that whole blockchain. And they go back to the date that uh, says, you know, this old doctor saw Anders. And he can't look up Anders' name on there because that'd be sensitive data. But instead, he can just go, okay, well, on that date, let's see all the hashes that were sent up by that old doctor. Yeah, right there. One of the hashes on the blockchain matches the hash that I just recomputed from the data that the old doctor sent me. So... I feel more comfortable that I have a, the matching record of whatever was recorded on that day three years ago. So you can prove that, and, and seems like a a nice thing to be able to do to to validate that. But you know, one of the things we talk about with hashes is that if if that um, if you change the input just a little bit, if that if that doctor's EMR they said, well, we poked Anders. Three times, and you actually only put, you know, when you submitted the data, you only said that you poked it twice. You're going to, won't match. It won't even be close. It won't even be close. And actually, this this can be an issue uh, with electronic electronic medical records as they, they're done in the U.S. Is a lot of times um, the medical records sort of are building not just a transaction history of what happened, to Anders, but more of a picture of like what's what are the conditions, what are the complications, what medications has Anders taken. And if, you know, I did something with Anders three years ago, and then, you know, today I go and things have, I did something with Anders three years ago, and I pulled a snapshot of uh, Anders' record and hashed it, and uh, sent a hash to a blockchain. And I work with Anders more. He comes back, I do more things, I send more hashes. Um, and then, you know, I, then he disengages for a while, and then he shows up at some other doctor's office, and they send and say, hey... You know, what did you do with Anders three years ago? 
it might actually be tough, depending on the electronic medical record, to recreate exactly that text record of what happened um, three years ago. So it might be it's nice to be able to do that, though. And so in Estonia, there's probably reason that the different medical record or the people selling electronic medical record software probably have a nice way to regenerate exactly what you would have said you did on that date three years ago. Right, right. So um, before we get into, you know, why, you know, the data, all the data is not out there. I did want to just kind of take this and, and, you know, one case we bandied about a little bit in the United States, um, you know, in some of the, the field we work in is the concept of uh, encounter data, particularly for Medicaid health plans, submitting data to the state that's then used for all sorts of analyses and setting capitation rates. And, you know, in many cases, there's encounter data submission problems where the MCO says, I submitted this data. Why is it the, not showing up? The MCO, the managed care organization. The managed care organization uh, says, you know, we submitted these claims to you and it's not in this. You're telling us you don't have a record of it. Um, how could that be? You know, it does seem like potentially this is a a way that you could validate that yes or no, you did did or did not submit this record because you can check it against a hash. Yeah, and you can say like you have a you you when you submitted it, you get sort of a receipt back that is the hash, and then everyone's keeping it's getting added maybe to a blockchain. We can talk about that in a second here, and everyone's keeping a list of all of these hashes. Um, and then you said you could come back later and go, well, hey, I did this. You know, here's what I think I did, and here's the hash where I you know where it was acknowledged in the sort of receipt I got. Um, earlier this year or whenever it happened. Right. Now, the thing I said right there was, it doesn't, you know, we're talking about blockchains here. It, we, we could just be keeping a file that's just a list of all the hashes. Like, there isn't actually something specific to blockchain right here. Right. Because they, on the, in the Bitcoin sense, going back to that, the chaining was really a, a way to build into this... Uh, immutability because you'd have to essentially recreate this entire chain. So the fact that these were linked and, and the order of sort of operations of transactional data to you had this much money at this point. Yeah, you had a ledger going on. Right. Money was, so fake the, money was flowing back and forth. The order was important and the chaining was important. In this case, like you're saying, it's, you could essentially just use the hash yeah, as, as the receipt. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you probably wonder like what was the exact date and maybe what was the providers when someone's looking it up later, you know, which doctor's right. office. But um, but there's no reason it actually has to be a blockchain. Now, text files look extreme, but it could be a traditional database. There could just be a traditional database that all the doctor's offices have access to. And they just say, you know, here's the list. Now, that one you'd have to trust that the government wasn't compromised. So maybe all the doctor's offices keep copies of the databases locally but then you know how do you make sure all those databases are in sync and yeah, okay you know the blockchain part of that idea of having that distributed ledger can be nice so there's some niceties to using that blockchain um, although in you know a lot of cases i'm not sure that um all the doctor's offices would be sophisticated enough to not notice if someone were to edit the data, you know, had somehow or changed the software so it actually edited the chain that they've been storing locally. Um, but maybe in theory, somehow they make a copy of the chain every night and uh, keep it off somewhere secure or something. Right. So, so let's circle back to Estonia. Uh, they are conspicuously not storing all the data 
all the medical record that says exactly Anders did X, Y, and Z on the blockchain. Um, why are they not doing that, Shay? Well, they're not doing that because you're keeping copies of all these receipts and records everywhere, right? And if you stored all the data on there, even if it was encrypted, there are still keys that decrypt encryption. In fact, honestly, if you encrypt it, you would probably do public-private key cryptography, possibly, or maybe not. You wouldn't have to do that. You could just do, you know, so scrap that. Again, part. we're talking about encrypting, <laughs> encrypting the key. You still can't reverse engineer these hashes, but if you store all the data out there, now everything's out there. Everything's out there. And if the key, not only is everything out there, but if you distributed that data to all the doctor's offices, they would all have all the data for all the people in Estonia. Now, they don't have access to it right now, but later, if you accidentally, someone, either nefariously or accidentally, compromised and shared that private key, well, then you had so many copies of this data going around that you don't have any way to take that data back. So someone's going to be able to take that key and decrypt the data. So encryption is just one layer of protection. It should not be the only layer of protection you use. Um, so talk about storing data encrypted, you know, just because I encrypt my data doesn't mean that I make it publicly available. Um, you want layers of security on really sensitive data like protected health information that you want to encrypt it and limit access. Um, and so, you know, a scenario like this, you, you really don't want to have copies of everyone's medical data strewn all across the country. Um, so. so we talk about Estonia and some of the compromises they've made and what, what they are doing and what they're getting out of it. Um, there are a handful of other uh, use cases going on out there, probably more, certainly more than we're going to be able to mention here. Um, you know, one of the concepts is uh, the idea of smart contracts that are based on uh, agreed upon code um, that are that are use, using leveraging like an Ethereum or some, some other blockchain currency. Um, there are the, the ability to verify asset ownership is something that people have looked at. Um, one thing we did want to talk about today in a bit more detail is version control and how blockchain is used there actually already is being used. Yeah. So this is one where we got to maybe bend the term a little bit. So when we talk about blockchain, this is where we let off in the first episode, you can be meaning many different things. You know, there's a specific blockchain for a cryptocurrency. There's you know, the abstract idea of a blockchain, distributed ledgers, or there's just the data structure that it's a data structure composed of blocks. For each block, you store, you make sure also store the hash of the content of that block. And then each time, each block also contains a hash of its prior block. So you get a chain of blocks, thus a blockchain. So even without worrying about a distributed blockchain, there can be reason that it would be nice to just store information in a blockchain if there was a reason for that data model to make sense. So a great example of when just that data model of just storing on a single computer, a chain of blocks can be when you're trying to keep version history of a file, a directory of anything. You have a chain of blocks for each block. Each block in that chain is a different version of either a file or a directory, an asset or anything like that. And honestly, that data structure is used in a lot of version control software. Um, and so, you know, some of the most common ones being Git. It was one of those that really championed an idea that, you know, that blockchain behind it. Now, 
I, I don't think they put capital B and capital C on blockchain have been advertising it, but Git's been around for many years now, uh, much you know as long as Bitcoin or longer. So um, if you've been using that for version control or many other softwares, you've been definitely working with blockchains. They have their own distributed nature and trust plays into that and probably more than we're going to talk about today. But one thing I will say, this does come up a lot um, uh, in the insurance industry under model governance. Um, it comes up in a lot of, um, you know, needs uh, to be able to track, you know, this you know, work in the insurance industry gets more and more complex and models get more and more complicated. You really want to bring in best practices from software development and things like version control and use software like Git and other ones and have this idea of a chain of blocks of what the different versions were over time. So, um, so with that, yeah, that's another sort of slightly abstract, but pretty, con well, you've sort of abstracted the idea of a blockchain, but it's still a very concrete use case of model governance and version control. Right. So I think in this episode, and, and we've been talking, preparing for this episode, it's sort of been an uh, interesting thought exercise of taking kind of everything that's in that Bitcoin model of blockchain, like maybe you mentioned the capital B, capital C, and sort of bending that concept and taking pieces of it and thinking about what blockchain is at maybe a more foundational level and how those concepts can be used. Yeah, or you know, just sort of muddying the waters on the term a little bit. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So with that, we'll leave it there for today. Um, we're hoping to come back uh, potentially in the future with a discussion of some use cases, very specific use cases uh, from some other folks at Milliman. Um, but for today, we'll leave it, leave it there and hope you've enjoyed this one and uh, get you interested in, in what, what there is out there for blockchain and in insurance applications. So, Shay, thanks for joining me again. Thank you very much, Anders. And I can promise that no shoulders were injured in the recording of this podcast. No. And in fact, due to, uh, for, to, for being HIPAA compliant, I can neither confirm nor deny that I have had any shoulder injuries. So uh, thank you very much. You've been listening to Critical Point presented by Milliman. To listen to other episodes of our podcast, you can visit us at milliman.com or find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. See you next time.